0: The following episode of the Living Presence podcast deals with subject matter related to sexual assault, which should be troubling to everybody, but may be especially painful for those who have experienced this kind of violence. This is probably not an episode to listen to in the car with kids in the backseat. Be kind to yourselves, take care of yourselves, and take heart. Hello and welcome to the Living Presence podcast for Sunday, October 7th. My name is Brianne Swan, and I am the Community Minister with the Living Presence Ministry, an emergent community ministry from the United Church of Canada in East Gwillimbury, Ontario. We've been away over the summer months, and then I found myself struggling with my computer, which kept crashing every time I attempted to record something— I was all set to put out an episode related to the current lectionary readings and Thanksgiving, but it feels impossible not to respond to the wave of emotion and anger after the testimony of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and yesterday's swearing-in of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. I want to put out a Thanksgiving episode, but to be honest, that is not what is on my heart right now. I am not shocked by yesterday's vote, but I am saddened and angry. Actually, I'm pretty pissed. This is not the first time, nor will it be the last time, that powerful people make decisions out of fear of losing just a bit of that power, but I'll be getting into some of that a little bit later. On this week's episode, we'll be hearing a very well-known story from the Hebrew Scriptures, the story of David and Bathsheba in Second Samuel is one of the best-known stories in the Bible and is also one of the most profound examples of scapegoating and being voiceless we have in our ancient stories. We'll also be hearing words from Molly Brewer from the Unitarian Universalist Association in a prayer for those who have been harmed sexually and spiritually through abuses of power. We'll hear a cover of Leonard Cohen's Come Healing by the First Unitarian Congregation in Brooklyn. But first, this is Quiet by U.S.-based artist Milk. Milk spelled M-I-L-C-K. You can find her and her music at www.milkmusic.com or by checking out our show notes.
1: and this is a reading from second Samuel in the spring of the year the time when kings go to battle David sent Job with his officers and all Israel with him they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah but David remained at Jerusalem it happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from that roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was, it was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she was purifying herself after her period. Then she returned to her house The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Job, send me Uriah the Hittite. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah went out to the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. In the morning david wrote a letter to job and sent it to the hand of uriah in the letter he wrote set uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die as job was besieging the city he assigned uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant warriors the men of the city came out and fought with job and some of the servants of david among the people fell uriah the hittite was killed as well when the wife of uriah heard that her husband was dead she made lament- lamentation for him when the morning was over david sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son
0: that was alana reading from second samuel at her kickboxing gym in toronto For the past few years, I've been in search of a decent illustrated children's Bible for my kids. And every time I find a children's Bible in a bookstore, I pick it up and look for two specific things. The first thing I look for is whether or not the illustrator has whitewashed the characters because, well, there weren't a lot of blonde-haired and blue-eyed people in the ancient Middle East. And the second thing I do is turn to this story that Alana read for us in 2 Samuel and see how the illustrator portrays Bathsheba. Inevitably, I get annoyed and slam the book in disgust, because I have yet to find an illustrated Bible that does not portray Bathsheba as some kind of sultry temptress using her naked body to seduce the poor, weak, and unsuspecting king. That portrayal of Bathsheba is painfully steeped in the kind of rhetoric that tells girls that it's the length of their skirt that is to blame for boys' distraction at school, or that modesty is the best defense they have against being assaulted. It's the kind of thinking that suggests if a woman has had something to drink, how can she be sure she didn't actually consent? And all of this is right up there with questioning whether a sexual assault ever truly happened if it took over 30 years to report it. History has not been kind to Bathsheba. And she is one of the worst examples of victim blaming in history. Never mind the kids' books. Try searching for David and Bathsheba on YouTube. It's pretty brutal. Liz Curtis Higgs has a series of books called Bad Girls of the Bible, and Bathsheba isn't even just a bad girl. She made the really bad girls of the Bible sequel. Why? Because, quote, it doesn't appear that she put up much of a fight. There is no other word for this except bullshit. It's bullshit. David was the king. David had all the power in this unfortunate situation. This is a story of cowardice, deceit, murder, and rape. David raped Bathsheba. Could Bathsheba have said no? What would have happened if she'd tried? We don't really know what Bathsheba said because she only gets three words in this whole story. I am pregnant. After Dr. Christine Blasey Ford testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee, the news media started doing their thing with opinions about Ford's credibility running a wide spectrum. For me, the comments made after Dr. Ford's testimony were even more upsetting than Justice Kavanaugh's nomination going through. Questions like, Why didn't she come forward before? Why didn't she tell her parents and then go to the police? If this was really so traumatizing, why is it that she can't remember certain details? All of this is just a woefully inadequate understanding of trauma and how systems of power work. But it's hard to see all the moving parts of a vast moving machine when you're stuck smack in the middle of it and one of the people whom the machine benefits the most. Throughout this week, I have read and heard countless examples of people recounting their assaults, what they remember and can't remember. But it is absolutely clear to them that it happened. And this is something I wonder whether people who have never been assaulted truly understand. That the body knows when it has been violated. It knows before our minds, in our hearts, and that memory stays within our flesh. These are memories that don't have words, which can't give official testimony, but also aren't affected by the passing of time. Dr. Brussel van der book sums it up nicely The body keeps the score. David's sin became etched upon Bathsheba's flesh, and she has been forced to wear it as a badge of shame ever since. And as if all of this isn't enough, not only does history force Bathsheba to shoulder some of the blame, but history also shifts who the victims are. Certainly there is agreement that Uriah is fully a victim in this story. But what we hear later in this narrative is that after David marries Bathsheba, God is, well, God's pretty pissed at what David's done. So God sends a prophet named Nathan to give David a stern talking to. David immediately admits to his sin against Uriah and against God. As punishment, the baby who was the product of Bathsheba's rape dies. It really doesn't seem very fair. Bathsheba is raped, her husband is murdered, her baby dies, and history goes on to paint David as the victim of Bathsheba's seduction. After David writes a penitential psalm, which is a song of repentance, he seems to come out of this whole affair relatively unscathed. David writes in Psalm 51 against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Against God alone. I wonder how Bathsheba might feel about that. We don't know because again, she is rather a voiceless character in this whole episode. So David seems to walk away okay. Bathsheba's dealing with a lot, but David's life doesn't seem to be too ruined over the whole thing. We can't let unfounded accusations ruin this guy's life. This was something I heard from Republican senators and pundits over and over again last week. So let's get real here. If Brett Kavanaugh had not been sworn into the Supreme Court, his life would not have been ruined. This was not a criminal proceeding. He would still be a high-ranking judge. He'd be pretty much where he was before the nomination happened. Certainly there would be people who would want to distance themselves from him, for a time. But after the news cycle shifted to something else, Kavanaugh would be back, judging and teaching and leading a life of almost unfathomable privilege. Did you see how angry he was as he testified at the judiciary hearing? That was a man who assumed he was owed something, and that somebody was about to take something away. Watching clips of Kavanaugh speak, the entitlement on display was more than obvious, and the fact that he was able to cast himself as a victim and have the President of the United States endorse and embellish this victimhood, it would be laughable if it wasn't so maddening. But how much more could we expect from a President who brags about grabbing women by the pussy or just kissing them whenever and wherever the hell he feels like it because he figures he's so special that they must want it. Bathsheba did not do anything to suggest she wanted to be summoned by David. She was bathing on the roof of her home, purifying herself after menstruation as per Levitical law. She was exactly where she was supposed to be, doing exactly what she was supposed to be doing. David, on the other hand, was being a bit of a lazy layabout, comfortable at home as his troops were off in battle, watching the game, having a bud. The only reason David could see Bathsheba was because, as king, his palace was higher than her roof. Bathsheba didn't even know he was there, and it was David's job to turn away. I know that I'm off on a bit of a political rant this episode, but I get worried that the longer Donald Trump and people like him are in power, the more normalized this kind of blatant misogyny will become in both the United States and in Canada, too. The longer we watch a leader who will publicly mock a sexual assault survivor on national television, the further and further away people may be led from living lives compatible with a life serving and being witness to God's love in the world. Nobody in God's kingdom is expendable. And if Jesus was alive today, I am 100% confident he would be with those who are hurting those who are weeping and those who are crying out, not with the flawed and threatened political leaders inside the temple. Sometimes when we ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? We need to remember that screaming in rage, stomping around and turning over the tables is a valid response. As I said, On the surface, it looks like David is the least harmed by his actions. But this story, this story is sort of the beginning of the end for David. As is often the case with sexual violence, the betrayal of Bathsheba and Uriah has generational implications. David's daughter, Tamar, is raped by David's son, Amnon. In retribution for this rape, another of David's sons, Absalom, kills Amnon. This culminates in the division of David's kingdom and David needing to flee. I don't know what's going to happen with Justice Kavanaugh sitting on the Supreme Court. As somebody who's pretty invested in the death penalty abolition movement in the States, I am very worried. I am worried about that, but I'm angry at how the women who continue to come forward and tell their stories are being treated by the people they are accusing, or the people protecting those whom they are accusing. But I can also see the unrest that is building. And I can only hope that the outrage over Kavanaugh's appointment will be something that will mobilize U.S. citizens to show up at the polls next month and elect leaders who have no time for bullshit like this. Because Canada, we're kind of the U.S. five years behind. What happens there trickles here. And that's a scary thought. Another thing I'm worried about is that because Brett Kavanaugh identifies as a Christian, people will think the church, even though I don't really think there is such a thing as the church anymore, that they'll think the church sides with him. And certainly there are some Christian leaders within the evangelical movement who do, but they are mistaken if they see any good news in this narrative. But the National Council of Churches, whose partner denominations represent over 100,000 congregations in the United States, penned a letter calling for Kavanaugh's nomination to be withdrawn. In this letter, they say, We note several reasons that we ask for this withdrawal. During his appearance before the Senate Judiciary Committee, Judge Kavanaugh exhibited extreme partisan bias and disrespect towards certain members of the committee, and thereby demonstrated that he possesses neither the temperament nor the character essential for a member of the highest court in our nation. We are deeply disturbed by the multiple allegations of sexual assault and call for a full and unhindered investigation of these accusations." Moreover, Judge Kavanaugh's extensive judicial and political record is troubling with regard to issues of voting rights, racial and gender justice, health care, the rights of people with disabilities, and environmental protections. This leads us to believe that he cannot be an impartial justice in cases that are sure to come before him at the court. It is extremely rare for the National Council of Churches to make a political statement like this. I sit with a slight unease with the Me Too movement, only because it seems to prioritize the experiences of middle and upper class, often white, women over others. But that is generally the case no matter what stories you're hearing. The people closest to the peak of the power pyramid, get to have their stories heard. And I'm also aware that I am looking at the story of David and Bathsheba from a modern 2018 perspective. This whole story was written over 500 years before the birth of Jesus. So about 2,500 years ago. And Bathsheba's story does not end with the death of her baby There aren't a whole lot of women who are identified by name in the Bible, and there's a reason Bathsheba gets to keep hers. Bathsheba and David go on to have more children, and she is seen working within the system to influence David, ultimately leading to her son Solomon inheriting the throne over David's elder sons. Bathsheba used the tools she had within the system she found herself in to secure the future of herself and her children. I hope there are more ways that... I, I don't even know who I'm hoping will infiltrate our current systems. More people who give a damn, perhaps? Or is it less about getting certain people into our systems than getting other people out? I don't mean we need to get all the rich, straight, cisgendered white men out... I mean we need to get the people out who are completely clueless about the privilege they've been handed, and who use that privilege and power to silence those who need to be heard if it happens to threaten their position and power. That is what we saw happen this week. And that is a large part of what is so enraging. And the fact that Christianity gets wrapped up in condoning this crap is heartbreaking. As Lillian Daniel puts it, I am tired of apologizing for a church I don't belong to. And so it goes. And here we are. In the words of Leonard Cohen, Let the heavens hear it, the penitential hymn, Come healing of the spirit, come healing of the limb. God is with us, even when we are angry. Perhaps especially when we're angry. About 45% of our listeners live in the United States. So please, do the entire world a favor this November. Work within the system and vote the assholes out. Prayer For Me Too by Molly Brewer Spirit of life and of love, holy one that reaches wide to encompass all beings, hold us to yourself in this moment. We come to this place carrying so much in our hearts. Around us we hear the laments of a broken world, torn by fire, storm, and strife, crying, I too have suffered. I too have been hurt and oppressed by power, by pain, by loss, and by neglect. We open our ears and lift up the words of all who join in this sorrowful song, me too. Spirit, comfort us, descend around us as a cloud of peace and compassion, abide with us in our mourning, help us to gather ourselves, to face each day with bravery or equanimity or even just to face it at all, help make each movement lighter, less leaden, Give us the grace to once again give thanks, and the strength to be kind to ourselves over and over again. One day, may our cries of shared sorrow give way to songs of joy. May we sing, I too am healing my broken heart. I too see the faces of justice and mercy. I, too, am filled with light, love, and compassion. listening to this week's episode. I'll be working to get the backlog of episodes I have written out as quickly as possible, but until then, give the people around you a hug and start handing out axes to smash down the patriarchy. Anger can be holy when it leads to positive action. God is with us, and we've totally got this. This podcast is brought to you by the Living Presence Ministry, a community ministry of the United Church of Canada. You can find us online at www.livingpresenceministry.org.